We're going to be in Ephesians, as you see, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So, uh, you know, turn there. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1076. If you're using your Bible or something else, then it's somewhere else. So you look at it. This is the last message in our, in our study on the heart of Jesus. We've been guided by Dean Ortland's book, uh, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, most of you have been reading through that. Um, it'll be, it'll be ne- I'm looking forward to next week. Next week, what we're going to do, uh, we're going to be hearing from, from, from you, you know, on, on what it is that you learned as you were looking, as you were going in the study. Many of you have been participating in some of the groups we've had. Uh, some of you have started your own groups, which is pretty cool, I thought. Uh, and, and, you know, you began uh, meeting with others. Uh, I, you ha- we, we had extra books that you could give away, and some of you, you guys gave away a lot of books. And I'm just really, really looking forward to hearing how you were able to use those to connect with people. Uh, so that's next week, you know, so you'll be ready for that next week. Uh, this week, we're, we're going to go verses 1 through 10. I'm going to take it a little bit at a time. So uh, grab your outline out, you know, and have that ready. And then when we, you know, when we pause, you know, you'll, we'll pick up again uh, three different sections as we go through this. Start with verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. Now, these, these first few verses here, what these are telling us is where we are without Christ. That's what these, you know, this whole, these first three verses of this chapter is telling us, you know, where we are where we we are without Christ. Now, in, look what he says right there. You know, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead in those unable to effectively remedy our standing as a sinner. We are unable to do that. You know, we are, you know, dead in trespasses and sins. We do not have the power to save ourselves. We don't. You know, we are, he's talking here about spiritually dead, not physically dead. I mean, they were obviously physically still alive. He's writing them a letter. You know, and, and so... You know, it's talking about being destitute, destitute of a life that recognized and is devoted to God. That's what he's talking about, that they were devoid of a life that recognized and was devoted to God because they're given over to trespasses and sins. You know, the word dead there, you know, it it means inactive in regard to doing right. That's what he's talking about. You were inactive in regard to doing right. That was, that, you know, the problem without Christ. And the main reasons, the main contributor to spiritual death, looking at what he says there, is what? Walking according to this worldly age. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Why? Well, because you were walking according to this worldly age, according to society's drives, according to, you know, the, the standards, uh, you know, of society, the, the, the main, you know, those begin to be, become our main goal and direction for living. You know, they are the things, if, when we're not careful, that they set our direction for living. And, you know, that's not what you want. Values are set by what society values is what he's talking about here. You know, what, what those without Christ value. This is what he's talking about. That, you know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Why? Because you were living according to this worldly age. You were living by the society around you, by their values. And those are coming from values of people who don't, who don't know Christ, who don't have a relationship to Christ. Dead in trespasses and sins. 
Now, notice, though, these were things in their past. See what he says? This is their past conduct, their past values uh, that it used to describe them. He says, you were this. You previously walked. They are now living different values. You know, they had a relationship with Christ. They're now living different values. Their conduct was now directed, being more and more directed by these new values. Now, it's sometimes embarrassing for us, but we have to, you know, when we have to admit, when we have to realize, when we wake up to the fact that our conduct is directed by our values. You know, if you're disappointed in your conduct sometimes, look at your values. You know, look and see what it is, you know, that you're valuing. Because your actions, your choices, the things you're doing are showing where, where the values are for you. They are showing what's important to you. They are showing who is important to you. Think about what you did this last week. Who were your actions serving most often? Yourself? Someone else? What I've noticed for me is sometimes I can serve someone else because of me. More than because of them. So what are our values? What is it that we value? You know, now we can say that we're committed to Christ, but your conduct may show that your lives, your values have really been set by the society you live in. Just think for a moment. What are you working for financially? You know, what is it that you're working for financially? What do you hope to accomplish with your finances and why? Why do you hope to accomplish those with your finances? You know, maybe what, what are the things that keep you from meeting together with God's people? Are they from God? Or are they from the world? You know, are they from your values or, or from God's? How are you treating those people that you disagree with? What are the things you watch on TV? The things that you search on the computer? How are you serving God and His people? How often do you talk to others, other people about Christ Jesus? What would your neighbors say? What would your neighbors say are the most important things to you? You know, your conduct is directed by your values. You know, it's directed by your values. And when you come to a relationship with Christ, you have a new commitment. This is what he's talking about. You know, that this is some of what they were. There's a new commitment and you begin to value God more and more. You begin to be directed more by his values and less and less according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens and the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient. As you come to Christ, you work more and more from his values and less from those that are, that are listed here. You know, and he talks about working in the disobedient. The disobedient just simply means you know, those who do not have a relationship with God. We work less and less from the, the relationship and the values of those who don't have a relationship with God. Because they don't have a relationship with God, they are actually, you know, what, what they're actually doing is fighting against the purposes of God. You're either for God or you're, or you're against Him. There, there's no sitting on the fence. There's no fence to sit on. 
you're for Christ or you're against Christ. You're not neutral off on the side somewhere. You might think you are, but you're not. Because if you're not working for him, you're working against him. That's what he says. That's what he tells us. You know, there, don't, don't, don't be fooling yourself and don't be thinking, you know, don't be thinking that, you know, well, you know, I'm not working against them. I'm just not working for them. Well, if you're not working for them, you're working against them. You know, he tells us that, you know, and we need to realize, you know, we need to realize what our, our conduct, what our values show. Those who are disobedient, you know, they don't value God and their conduct shows they don't value God. You know, if they do have some value for God, uh, you know, it, it's not as God in their lives. You see, if they have some value for God, you know, it's not as God in their lives. You know, he's not the one that's going to direct them. They may feel he's important, you know, but, they, you know, uh, that they, regu- you know they, they relegate him often to this little religious part of our lives, that, you know, or when they're in trouble. Um, you see, this is how politicians can say that they're personally against abortion, and yet they, they you know, they pass laws allowing people to kill their children. Uh, this, this, is how, this is how and why we can treat those who disagree with us with contempt you know, and, and treat them as if they are worthless and speak about them in degrading ways. Because we begin to separate these things. You know, this is why you know, we put our own comfort before God's light tap on our shoulder or even before his clear word to us. Because we begin to relegate God to this little part of our lives instead of directing all our lives. You know, personal desires and drives come before whatever God might want. Personal and societal values are more important than God's values. He says, but this is what you were. This is what you were. You see, when you come to a relationship with, you know, when you come to a relationship with God, your desires and your drives begin to change. You know, they begin to change. And, and, you know, and, and it, you know, we all change when we surrender our life to Christ. I mean, there is, an, there is a change, but it's, you know, it's a, a new way of learning to live. It's breaking old habits and developing new ones that will help you to grow. And even if you were raised in a church, you know, even if you were raised in a church and you come to that place where, you know, where, I was thinking, you know, it'll probably never, it'll never happen. But uh, I was thinking I, I was going to, I'd like to write a book, you know, that just, the title of it would, would be something along the lines of, um, you know, this is not your parents' church. You know, it's not your parents' faith, I guess I would say. Not meaning that it's a different faith, but meaning that you are not going to get into heaven by your parents' faith. You have to have a personal relationship with Christ. So no matter when it is that you come to the Lord, you know, whether you were raised in, in a home where they believed and followed God, you still have to come to a place where you accept Christ for yourself and you begin to walk in obedience to him for yourself, not because of your parents, but because of yourself. And if, you know, like me, if you come to Christ later, you know, as, as you're an adult, uh, 
there were some immediate changes in my life and there needed to be some immediate changes. You know, and there were some that should have changed immediately. I just didn't realize it, you know. But as you grow, then more begins to change. And this is, you know, this is what we're talking about here. You know, that's why Paul can say there in verse 3, he says, We all too previously lived, past tense. We previously lived, past tense, among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were, why? Because there's change going on. We were, by nature, children under wrath, as others were also. You see, that past tense, he's saying there's a change that comes about. That's our state without Christ. Without Christ, you know, we are separated, but then something happens, you see, and those things get left behind. Then verse 4, look at verse 4, that we'll pick up there again. Two huge words. It begins with two huge words. He's telling them where they are without Christ. And now he says in verse 4, But God, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, this is God's response. This is God's response to us here. We're sinners. Our values are set by society and our own desires, and our conduct was directed by those values. We deserved God's wrath. We were rejecting him. We all lived that way, you know, which made us people justly under the wrath of God and he says but God we we were all there where we deserved the wrath of God and then he says but God who was rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses and sins we were sinners we were dead in trespasses and sins we lived you know we were sinners living among sinners getting our values our directions from those opposed to God because we were also opposed to God we were children under wrath we were dead in our trespasses and we didn't know and we didn't care it didn't matter But God, he says, but God intervened. God intervened and brought brought about a major change in our status, our very beings. Notice what it says. He made us alive with the Messiah. He brings us from dead to alive. He brings us from dead to alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive with the Messiah. Why would he do that? I mean, why would he do that? We certainly didn't deserve being made alive with the Messiah. We deserved God's wrath. We deserved God's wrath because we were opposing God, because we were putting our, we were, we were making ourselves or something else, God ahead of God in our lives. We were following other, other directions. We were following others as though they, you know, they or he or it were, were God instead of God. We're given two motivations here for making us alive in Christ. Notice it says one is that God is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. The second motivation says he did it because of his great love that he had for us. But he's rich in mercy. Mercy, mercy withholds the wrath we deserve. 
That's what mercy is. Mercy withholds the, God's wrath, which we deserve. Mercy withholds the punishment. You know, have mercy on me. We throw ourselves on the mercy of the court, meaning don't give me the punishment I know I deserve. You know, it, and he says here that he is rich in mercy. That word rich means uh, abounding in resources. This is way beyond adequate. That's what he's talking about. It's way beyond adequate. It's not just adequate. It, it's even further than that. It's more than that. It is really just pushing it all out on us. He is rich in mercy. He, it just abound, his mercy abounds to us is what he's talking about. And then it also says, you know, because of his great love. That word great means many, numerous. It's equivalent to abundant. You know, it's a different word, but it has much the same meaning as rich. You know, so we could say, you know, that his mercy abounds to us and his love abounds to us as well. We need mercy. We need mercy, the withholding of the wrath we deserved, or we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. And he gives us that, that you know, that rich mercy, that abounding mercy. Otherwise, we'd be dead, separated from God, inactive as far as a relationship to God goes. So God, in his great love, he says, reached out to us undeserving sinners. God's great love. That's a, you know, that, that love that, that, that works in the best interest of others, not reacting to the worthiness of the one being loved. It has nothing to do with the worthiness of the one being loved. The love he's talking about here, you know, many of you know there's many words for love, you know, in Scripture. This, this is the one, you know, that, that agape, that agapo, that, that love that gives with no regard for return. So God, for God so loved the world, he, you know, he, he loved the world, so what did he do? He gave, he took action. You see, he took action. This is what this word is talking about. It's not talking about, oh, I just think you're a wonderful person, so let me do this for you. No, it's, I don't care what kind of person you are, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. It's not that, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have you over for dinner, so you'll have me over for dinner. That's not it at all. It's, you know, I'm going ha- to have dinner with you because you're important, and I want to spend time with you. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about his, his great love for us. It's, it's, it's that, that, that degree of, of love, you know, reaching out to us, those ones who, who don't deserve it, not reacting to a worthiness or even the unworthiness. But even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, unworthy of his love, he loved us. Rich in mercy. And his great love. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace, he says. God, who is rich and abundant, rich, he's abundant in mercy and withholding the punishment we deserve, he says, was motivated by his great love which reaches out to us in grace. You know, grace, that, that, giving, that giving of good which is not deserved. He's reaching out to us and giving us, you know, because of who He is, what we don't deserve. The mercy and grace are because God is God. Not because of anything we deserve, not because of anything we've earned. It's because of who He is. God's rich mercy and love reaches out to sinners. It reaches out to sinners who are dead in trespasses and sins. And by His grace, it says, we are saved. God saves. 
He saves, not us. He's the one who saves. He saves, you know, dealing with, dealing with God's wrath. You know, that, that, that he is, you know, that sacrifice for us and deals with God's wrath, bringing us from death to life, raising us to a new place with him. So he says, verse 6, together with Christ Jesus, together. See, when, you're, when you have that relationship with him, then you're together with Christ Jesus. It says, he also raised us up, seated us in the heavens, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ. We are raised up together with Christ Jesus, it says here. I, you know, I, I still I try to get my mind around things like this. We're raised up together with Christ Jesus. Other places it says we're co-heirs with Christ. And we hear that and we think, yeah, no, not really. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm less, you know. In other words, we're saying, God, I heard what you said, but I'm ignoring what you said. And I'm t-. We are raised up together with Christ Jesus, seated together. Notice what it says, seated in the heavens together with Christ Jesus. We went from dead in trespasses and sins to raised up and seated with Christ. When we come to him in that relationship with him, we are saved. He saves And then we are recipients, as it says here, of his grace and kindness in Jesus Christ. That word translated kindness, it doesn't mean just kindness as a quality. It's it's speaking of kindness in action. That he that he kindnesses us. Just think about it. You know, he he kindness. He 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 continues to work toward us in kindness. Not in bumping your head off the table because you acted like a nitwit. He working, he's, he's, he's working toward us in kindness. Kindness in action. His actions toward us is kindness, not meanness. You know, it, it's, God, it's God doing the work we need to be saved. Jesus went to the cross an innocent man. He went to the cross an innocent man. And he took our sins on himself. In fact, scripture says he became sin. Second Corinthians chapter five. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. He made the one who did not know sin, that innocent one, he made that him to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. He took action on our behalf. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up, seated us in the heavens, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his active kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He saves, not us. Nothing, nothing we do. It's his actions, not ours. It's his active kindness not ours. Let's look at this last section, verse 8. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so that we should walk in them. He tells us right there, He saves us through His gift of grace. He saves us through his gift of grace. Now, 
you know, when I got into this passage, I knew it was more than, you know, than, than we're going to be able to dive deeply into because this next section here, these, these verses 8 through 10, can be a long sermon in themselves. So let, let's look at those verses again and let me expand on them for you just, just a, a little bit uh, because really that's all we have time for. Um, so here. For you are saved, actually delivered from judgment and giving eternal life together with Christ Jesus, raised with him by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ through faith. Not by being good enough. And this is not from yourselves. Not as a result of what you have done, not of your own effort, not a payment for good behavior, not because of family lineage, you added nothing to Christ's finished work on the cross for you. It is God's gift, free and clear to you, but at the cost of Christ's life. Not from your works, nothing you have done, not a result of your obedience to God's commands, so that no one can boast. You cannot take credit in any way for what God has done. For we are His creation, His workmanship. Created, born again, born anew, spiritually transformed in Christ Jesus through our relationship with Him of faith in His death on the cross for our sin. Ready to be used by God for good works, which come because our values, desires, and drives have been and are being transformed by our, our relationship with God, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them living the good life that he has planned and made ready for us to follow and participate in because he saved us. We are his. That was another sermon just condensed down for you there. So the last view of Christ's heart from this series. You know, he cares. He understands. He persists. He intercedes. He connects. He comforts, he's faithful, he forgives, he loves, and he saves. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing that song, Jesus Saves. Father, thank you for your work in our life, your work on our behalf. Not because we earned anything, but simply because you are a gracious, loving God. And your kindness is actively at work in us, bringing us to that place of knowing you, of having that relationship with you. Father, remind us through the words of this song, of the words of your word to us here in Ephesians, that you save. You're active, you're kind, you're gracious, you're loving. Help us to live in that and from that. Not from the values of the world, but from the values of our Savior. Transform them where they need to be. More and more to you, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand together as we sing, please?